Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to discover a tunnel. A tunnel beneath the base of Migdash compound itself. Okay, so this is how it goes. We have learned that the Kohanim have to take up position and provide the base of Migdash with a sense of dignity by virtue of their mindfulness. This is called Shmira. This is the sacred responsibility that the Bethden has to ensure that there will be Kohanim and Levim always present. We talked a lot about this over the last couple of episodes. Now, stuff happens. All kinds of stuff happens. And we're going to talk about a problem that might develop whilst the Kohanim are sleeping. Now, we learned about the Kohanim coming the night before they were due to serve in the Beis HaMikdash because every day had a particular family that was chosen. And that comes out of 24 watches. So if it was your week, there was one day when you would be in the Beis HaMikdash if you were a Kohen and you were going to serve. You are going to do your thing, as they say. But you didn't stay home and show up early in the morning. Rather, you would spend the night at the Beis HaMikdash. In all likelihood, we're speaking about the people who also doubled as Shomrim. And this goes into a conversation we had in the previous episode, whether or not sleeping Kohanim are actually able to fulfill this sacred duty of being present kind of watching, if you will, or guarding the Beis HaMikdash. And at least according to some schools of thought, even sleeping Kohanim make a world of difference. It certainly seems that way because the Rambam is going to be talking about a nocturnal event, something that could happen in somebody's sleep. And he specifically places this within the collection of laws or rules, halachot, that deal with Shmirah. So this is not a discussion about the Kohen's dormitory. It's a discussion about Shmira. Perikhes, the eighth chapter of Hilchas Beis HaBechira. We are going to continue our study from the text with Halacha Zayin. Paragraph 7. The Rambam says, Eira keri be'echod mehem. Suppose a keri event took place what if one of them? That has nothing to do with a former senator or candidate for the office of the president. A keri in Hebrew is a term that is used for ritual impurity. Just so you understand and appreciate what a bal keri is, you need to simply open your Bible to the book of Leviticus. Chumash Vayikra. This is Parshas Mitzorah that talks about different forms of ritual defilement called Tumah in Hebrew. If you go to Leviticus chapter 15 and you look at the beginning of what is the sixth reading when you read Parshas Metzorah in, uh, in the Sholon Shabbat, verse 16 says like this, 
ve'ish ki seitzei mimenu shichvas zera. A man from whom there issues a discharge of semen. What happens with that guy? Now this is a, you know, seminal matter usually is forcefully ejected from the body. And when that happens, the rochatz bamayim eskol besorid. It is possible for seminal material sometimes to leak out of the body. That's a venereal disease, a different kind of ritual impurity. We're talking here about a person who's healthy, a person who doesn't suffer from any kind of uh, breakage, breakdown of his uh, inner plumbing or system. He's perfectly healthy, and he had a seminal discharge. So what does he have to do? The answer is, says the Torah, he's got to immerse in water. Literally, he must immerse all of his flesh in water. This is the idea of immersing in a mikveh. And then, the tome ad ha'orif. Then he remains ritually defiled until evening. And it's only at that point he becomes rid of this ritual defilement or tumah. This applies equally to all discharges of semen, whether they are permitted, meaning a man who is cohabiting with his wife, or through it is uh, forbidden activities, whether it's forbidden intimacies or a form of somebody doing something to have that kind of bodily reaction, which, by the way, is not permitted. And our sages tell us this applies whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Well, that brings us right back to the Rambam. So, Eira keri be'echod mehem. A keri happened. What does that mean? That means somebody had what they call in English a nocturnal emission. I think the slang is a wet dream. Yeah, he thought about whatever he thought about during the day, and he looked where he shouldn't have looked, and at night he had a dream, and the body forcefully ejected semen, and he woke up and he said, Oy vey! What's the problem? What's the problem? This Cohen is now ritually impuris tamay, and there he is in the Beis Hamikdash. What do you do now? Well, who says he can't be in the Beis Hamikdash? Oh, our sages say he can't be in the Beis Hamikdash. So, in case you're not sure about this, there's a big discussion in the Gemara in Mesechet Psachim on page 67, side B, and the Gemara says that uh, the, there's a clear ruling that Balkeri mishtalach chutz machanot, that the Balkeri is ejected. He must be removed from the camp of the Shechina and from the camp of Levia. The camp of the Shechina refers to the Beis Hamikdash proper. The camp of Levia would refer by extension to the Temple Mount. So this guy, is, he's got a scram. He can be in the city of Yerushalayim, but he can't be in the base of Migdash. Now, it's not so simple for a person like this to leave the base of Migdash compound. It's in the middle of the night. And he's going to traverse the area of Harabais and he's the of ritual impurity. Like, how does this work? What does he do? By the way, the Gemara has a whole discussion whether the comparison to Sheretz, to somebody who comes in contact with a dead rodent, is equal to the person who experiences this nocturnal emission, if you will. And the Gemara says that the comparison is made with regard to the voluntary or involuntary nature, not with regard to the ritual purity and impurity. And the answer is, 
clear the Baal Keri has got to get off the premises. So what does he do? The Rambam says, and he is quoting from two different sources in the Mishnah here. The Rambam says, at this point, the Baal Keri has got to get himself to a ritualarium, to a mikveh. That's really where he needs to be because, because the mikveh is a place that he's going to be able to achieve ritual purity. However, that only happens at evening. So you immerse in the mikveh and then you wait until the sun goes down. That terminology is called tevul yom, which means having immersed, waiting for the day to end. So the Rambam says, holech ba He must go in a mesiba. What is a mesiba? So it's a tunnel. <laughs> How do I know it's a tunnel? The word mesiba isn't really, doesn't really mean tunnel. So if we take a look in the Mishnayot, Mesechet Midot, we have this, this Mishnah. This, this, this halacha shows up in the Mishnah. It, it says, Ira keri be'echad mehem. I'm reading from the Mishnah, Mesechet Midot. So what happens is, Yotzev ha'holoch lo ba Mesiba. He goes into the Mesiba. What's a Mesiba? The Teferis Yisrael, in his commentary, Yochin of Voaz, translates the word Mesiba as such. He says, Ke'en kevesh. It's like a ramp, but you think of a ramp usually as going up, not here. This is yoreid. This is a ramp that goes down lima'ara into a cave. Now think about that. A ramp that goes up somewhere doesn't necessarily have anything encompassing or enclosing it. But if you're going down into a cave, what did you just do? You went into something because it's a ramp. So the floor is going down like a ramp, but invariably you're going to find yourself entombed or enclosed. So it's a tunnel in English. That's pretty clear. And this tunnel takes you into a labyrinth that existed beneath the Temple Mount. And it's not clear whether these were fully man-made or some of them may have been natural because a ma'ora, a cave, generally speaking, is natural. So there's a labyrinth of tunnels that led to caves. Most mountains have caves or cavities. So he goes into this Mesiba, the Rabbeinu Avadya Mibartanura. He says very interestingly that the Levi goes to Mesiba Bimechila in a tunnel which goes mahalechet tachat habira, goes under the bira. The bira, by the way, is the term that is used for the entire compound of the Beis HaMikdash. And under the Beis HaMikdash, there was a tunnel. That's what the Bartanura says. Shemechila haita tachas HaMikdash. A mechila was under the Beis HaMikdash. So whether it means that there were caves in the mountain, which is a given, we also hear that there were tunnels. And like I said, it's very possible that many of these labyrinth tunnels were actually in bedrock or natural. It is also possible that some of these were built and developed. We know that the Ark with the Luchot, with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is hidden, and Indiana Jones is never going to find it. Besides the fact that the guy who Indiana Jones is patterned after, or fashioned after, Venlo Jones is no longer alive, he's never going to find it because Hashem ordains that it's not be found. Yoshayo HaMelech hid the Ark in a secret catacomb in a labyrinth that was created by King Solomon. And the understanding, although we don't have clarity about this, is that there were tunnels and caves 
a whole maze, a whole labyrinth beneath the Temple Mount, and that Shlomo HaMelech very cleverly designed these secret tunnels. One of them sealed off in a catacomb in which the ark that was fashioned by Moshe and Betzalel with the cherubim and the, the Aseret HaDibrot, the slabs of stone hewn by Moses after he broke the first ones and later on inscribed with the handwriting, if you will, of God, are found right there. There's a lot to say about that. We talked about this many an episode ago in Hilchas Beis Sabachira. So the bottom line is, there's these tunnels. Now, are we sending the Kohen, who is ritually impure, to go be with the Ark? No, of course not. Don't be silly. He's going to be going to a ritualarium. Yeah, there was a bathing compound beneath the Beit HaMikdash, deep in the ground. But here's the problem. If these caves are going into the ground under the Beit HaMikdash, well, wouldn't that make it like the Beit HaMikdash? Close call, no cigar. No, the answer is it doesn't. Why not? I'm glad you asked. So the Rambam now continues to explain that even though these tunnels go tachat karka, he says, the mechilot, these tunnels that open into the actual Temple Mount area, not the Azara, not the Beis HaMikdash, Temple Mount area. And by the way, the tunnel that leads to the secret catacomb where the Ark is opens in the Azara, not in the Harabayas. Not all tunnels are created equal and not all tunnels are connected. But these tunnels opened onto the Har Habayit, not the Beis HaMikdash compound. And therefore, Lo Nit Kadshu. They were not sanctified. They were not sanctified. So what does this mean? Well, first let me take you to the Radvaz. Radvaz says like this. By the way, if you have any questions, I love your comments, but if you have any questions, you're welcome to ask the questions, and I'll do my best to respond. So Radvaz says... Even though they're under the ground of the Azara. So, hey, you're going under the base of Migdash. How could you do that? You're ritually impure. He says, nonetheless, we've already learned earlier that because these are open to the Harabayat, Lo Haita Kadosh, they were not holy. And the point is, Lo Yacholi Konas Bakodesh. You couldn't, from these tunnels, you couldn't actually make an exit into the, the Harabayat, into the Beit HaMikdash itself. So therefore, um, this area that was open into it was outside. So even though it's under the Beit HaMikdash, because you can't enter it from the Beit HaMikdash, because you can't exit from the tunnel into the Beit HaMikdash, it is not considered to be sanctified. For a better understanding of this, I should, I should share with you that only the mechilot ha-ptuchot lahar habayit lo nitkadshu. Because they were open to the harabayit. So the Mishnah Melech says in the seventh chapter, Halacha 15, he says, if the tunnel is open to har habayit, har habayit, kedusha, is not able to saturate the tunnels, the subterranean openings. However, if it would be open to the Beit HaMikdash itself, that would be another story. That would be another story. And that actually would make it sanctified. Mechilot haptuchot la'azara, the mechilot which are opened into the azara, and yes, it seems that there were some of these tunnels that opened into the courtyard of the base of Migdash itself. The Ramam says clear in the sixth chapter, halachates niskadshu. 
So this is a very interesting difference. There are tunnels and tunnels. The tunnels that open into the actual courtyard or area of the Beis HaMikdash were necessarily considered to be an extension, an adjunct, a part of the Beis HaMikdash itself, and the holiness follows you right into the tunnel. The tunnels, however, that were not opened into the Beis HaMikdash proper, but rather opened outside the Beis HaMikdash on the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, they were not sanctified with the holiness of Mount Moriah. So there's two points being made here. Number one, it didn't open into the Beit HaMikdash, so no Beit HaMikdash sanctity entered it because it was under the ground. But number two, even though it, it opens onto the Har Habayit, the Har Habayit is different from the temple compound. The temple compound drills right down. It saturates the whole area. If something is open in the temple compound, it will be Nitkadesh. However, if it opens to the Har Habayit, the holiness of the Har Habayit is a lesser degree of sanctity and holiness. And therefore, if it's in the scrimmage of Har Habayit, Mount Moriah, which is akin to the camp of Levi, the holiness does not actually enter the subterranean chambers. Very important distinction, important to understand this. So the Kohen is ritually impure, is running into this tunnel. He's cool because he's getting into the tunnel and the tunnel isn't holy, even though it's right beneath the holy, holy base of Middash. And then what happens? Well, then he's going to find a mikvah because there was a whole bathing compound underneath the base of Middash, deep in the catacombs of this mountain. Let me share with you the words of the Tiferes, of the Mefarish. This is the Mefarish which is found on Mesechet Tamid. As I mentioned to you a number of times over the last couple of episodes, we don't know who wrote this but it was a great sage and somebody who we revere as one of the Rishonim. He says like this. He says, underneath the Beit HaMikdash, there were mechilot. There were tunnels. There was a labyrinth. So even though it's under the Beit HaMikdash, he says, because Rosha Echad Patuach Lelishkat Beit HaMoked, because one of its openings was in the Beit HaMoked itself. And this is interesting because it seems that it wasn't just out there, like a, a tunnel that was open in the middle of the mountain. This tunnel was in the Beit HaMoked, which we talked about in the previous episodes. But it was in Makom Chol. If you remember, the Beit HaMoked is this large building which occupies the north side of the actual Hechal, which is the temple structure. And it was divided. It had like lattice work or little stones, some cobble work, cobblestones on the bottom that divided between the part that was sacred and the part that wasn't and that had everything to do from Ramlan's perspective to where the door opens and how far the Kedusha spreads. So he said, since you were in the Beit HaMoket, and the Beit HaMoket is considered to be Har Habayit, it's not Beit HaMikdash proper because the Har, the Beit HaMoket itself opens into the Chel, the area, the ramparts of the Har Habayit. So he says, therefore, even according to Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says that the Mechilot, that the tunnels, the labyrinth that was under the Heichal and the Holy of Holies were sanctified. He says, no, no. That's when it only opens to sacred scrimmage. But if it doesn't open to sacred scrimmage, if it's only from the Har Habayit, only the Temple Mount Holiness, then it doesn't go into it. So there you got it. This is one of the great Rishonim. He spells this out very, very clearly for us. Now we understand that the individual who goes into this 
winding underground stairwell, as some put it, is in essence not going to be violating any prohibition because he's not in a place of sanctity. He's in a non-consecrated area of the chamber of the hearth, of the Beit HaMoked, and as stated, a person who becomes ritually impure, he has got to get himself to a mikvah. That's what he's doing. All right. Rambam says Vitovil. He doesn't go into the details of the mikvah. In, if you look at Masech HaTamid, you find detail that describes it. There was a washroom there. It wasn't just a bathing complex. There was, there was a washroom complex. A rest area. It was even called a rest area of, uh, of honor. So Vitovil. He immerses. What does he do after? Ah, this is the big question. Remember, we read before from Leviticus that when a person has this omission where the body forcefully ejects seminal material, even if it's in an involuntary fashion, like a nocturnal omission, a wet dream, he's ritually impure. He has to go to the mikvah. But we also read before from the Pasuk, from the verse, the scripture itself, that after immersion he remains impure until the day ends until the proverbial clearing of light from the heavens, meaning after sunset, when, when night begins to fall and the long rays of the sun are no longer visible. But this brings us to the question, what does he do now? He's still in a state of ritual impurity. Says the Rambam, the Choser, he returns, the Yoshev Eitzel Echov HaKohanim. He sits together with his brothers, the other Kohanim. In other words, he goes, comes back to the Beit HaMoket. And he stays there until morning. Until the gates, the doors of the Beit HaMikdash are opened in the morning. So this, of course, is very hard to understand. Why does he go back to the Beit HaMoket where he came from? That, of course, is Har Habayat. Har Habayat is considered to be a place which corresponds to the Levite camp. And the Levite camp is not supposed to be violated by somebody who's ritually impure. He's still ritually impure, even though he immersed. He's at Tevulion. So why is he going back there? Well, this precise question is asked by the Radvaz himself in his commentary on the Rama. The Radvaz says, I don't understand. He says, Bin Toimar, Halo, Beit HaMoked Be'ezrat Nashim Lechudaita. The Beit HaMoked is right next to the Ezrat Nashim. It's right next to what we call the, the woman's court. And it has the same level of holiness, it would seem. And he says, Tvul Mishtaleach Misham. A person who had immersed in the mikvah but hadn't yet experienced the end of that day is still ritually impure. The scripture is very clear about that. He says, Since this labyrinth, this tunnel opens into the Temple Mount, if so, let him get out of there. Let him stand somewhere else. Stay in the tunnel. I don't know. Why is he going back into the Beit HaMoked? That's a good question. So, the Advaz says something very interesting. He says, Shlomer, the answer may be like this. Because 
the prohibition of a tevul yom not being in the azara, but being outside of there is only rabbinic. There was no decree leveled against this particular circumstance. So the rabbis made a decree, but they were selective in making their decree. Why is that? Says the Radvaz, this is because Mishum Tzavta, because he was there with a group of people. He's not going to be there alone. So why is that a difference? It's a difference if somebody is there with many people or he's there with a group. So he says, the thing is this. If you look in the words of the Rambam, the Rambam doesn't just say, V'tovel, V'chozer, V'yoshev. He says, Eitzel Echav HaKohanim. Why did the rabbis prohibit somebody who is ritually impure from being in an area like the woman's court, the Ezrat Nashim? One of the explanations is that a Kohen who's found in sacred scrimmage or outside sacred scrimmage, he can get really excited. He gets swept up in the fervor. And he say, oh wow, I, I think I'm going to go further. He said, no, you're ritually impure. One person can make this mistake. When you're in a group of people, <laughs> they're going to rein you in. So therefore, we have no concern. We don't have to worry about this. This is the way the Radvaz resolves this very interesting question. The Teferit Yisrael, which is a commentary, a much later commentary in the Mishnah, he asks the same question. This is a Mishnah that takes us back to Mesechet Tamid. What I was reading to you before was Mesechet Midot. Now we're going back to Mesechet Tamid. So there's a very similar, this expression is found both in the Mishnayot, in the teachings of our sages called Tamid, as well as the teachings of our sages, which are called Midot. So the Tferis Yisrael says, why is he going back to the Beit HaMoked after going to the Mikvah? And even if you tell me that he's Chatzish or Yabani Bechoyel, even if you tell me that he is in the half, which is either built according to the opinion of, Ra- of Rashi or at least regarded according to Ramam's opinion as, as pedestrian, as ordinary, it is still considered to be the Levite camp. The whole of Mount Moriah has that designation. The Tevul Yom is not allowed to come into the Machna Levia. And he cites this from Mesechet Yevamot on page 7. And he gives a very similar answer to the Advaz. He says, Yeshleimer the Machna Levia, Merachmed that it is only rabbinically proscribed. All right. And he says, this was something that was legislated in the days of the King Yehoshaphat. And he only did this for a person who became ritually defiled outside the base of Migdash. So they said, stay right where you are. Don't come into the base of Migdash. However, the Tveris Yusol reasons here it's different. He became ritually defiled while he was in the base of Migdash. It was in him to become ritually impure. Unfortunately, he had this wet dream. He is now ritually impure. What are you going to do? Throw the guy in the middle of the night? You can't do that. So he uses a different line of logic than the Radvaz. Radvaz says there's a difference between being alone or being with a group. But that could be problematic because, after all, what if somebody comes with a group? So therefore, the Tiferes Yisrael says the problem here is he became ritually impure while he was already inside. And because he was ritually impure while he was already inside, 
That's why we asked him to stay with his brothers, but he can stay inside. And the Tferes Yisrael goes on to explain that the reason that they made this injunction is because it's just people get swept away. It's just the nature. People get excited about things. And especially when they're familiar with things. So I don't want to say familiarity breeds contempt, but familiarity lowers people's guard. And as such, you get a little too comfortable. But here, so we're afraid a person might go into what's called Machin the area of Ezrat Kohanim, the area of the Kohanic designation, that sacred scrimmage immediately around the Beis HaMikdash. But he says, here, realistically speaking, this person got into a situation. He went to the mikveh. The rabbis didn't make a decree. That's his way of explaining it. Okay. Now we say that he stays there till the morning. But come morning, out you go. Why does he have to leave then? If it was good for the night, why can't he spend the day there? And then he'll be ritually pure when the day is over. This is a very interesting question. The Mefarash, that anonymous Rishon who comments on Mesechet Tamid in the Gemara, speaks about this. He says, uh, the Gemara says, Yetzir Vahilachoy, to the Mishnah. He has to go out. Why? What does it to go out for? So he says, I'll tell you why. Number one, what are you doing there? The Beis HaMikdash is not a place for loitering. This is not a hangout. He says, You're not allowed to do any service in the Beis HaMikdash. You cannot muster up and perform any of the formal sacred service. So what are you going to do there? Therefore, you're not, you have nothing to do here. If you have nothing to do, don't do it here. That's number one. Inami, he says. Another way of understanding this, why we had to make him leave. It's very interesting what he says now. Agav chavivuso ikri Because the Kohanim had this tremendous desire to serve Hashem. It was like the greatest self-actualization any Kohen could possibly hope for. Everybody wants to self-actualize. Everybody wants to achieve some level of perfection. Everybody wants to be part of something that he or she considers to be, you know, over the top. And you, you get excited about it. For a Kohen serving Hashem in the base of Migdash, that was the pinnacle, the zenith of his human experience. And as such, people get carried away. And the, the Mefarash says, this is not just my idea. Fascinatingly, references this to another injunction of our sages. Makes a cross-reference. The Gemara says in Mesechet Yuma, on page 24, that the Avoida, the service in the Beis Migdash, would be decided on by virtue of a pious, of a lottery. So lots would be drawn, or they had a way of counting, and whoever had the proverbial luck of the draw, he would get that special avoda, that special service awarded to him. So the question the Gemara asks is, when you're doing this pious, are you already in uniform? Are you already wearing the sacred raiments? Or that's not really part of the avoda. That's just preparation. See, who will do the avoda? So we shouldn't wear the sacred garments of the Kohen, especially because, as we learned yesterday, there's a mixture of wool and linen, which is otherwise proscribed. We shouldn't wear that during the lottery. 
The Gemara says, no, no, no. You need to make sure you're dressed for the occasion. Why? It's very simple. Because he says the Kohanim get really excited. And the moment he wins the lottery, he rushes off to do what he's got to do. And he forgets that he's not wearing the right uniform. So therefore, our sages said, because Agav Chavivusa, Mikri, because he's so excited about this and he's yearning for it and waiting for it, he might just get carried away. Therefore, let them show up all primed and ready. So the Mephadosh says, in that case, we could use the same logic here. Here's a person who wants to serve in the base of Mikdash, doesn't have the opportunity because he's ritually impure, but he might just forget about that. And he's there. It might happen that he gets swept up in the excitement of the moment that somebody would say, we need another code. He says, I'm here. And then he says, I'm ritually impure. I shouldn't have, been doing, shouldn't have signed up for this. I, should, I shouldn't have offered my services. So therefore we say, you know what? Don't, don't stick around there. The Kohen sticking around is asking for trouble. The Teferis Yisrael adds another very interesting idea. He says, nobody likes to be called lazy. I never met the person that says, I say, you're lazy. He says, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> of course I'm lazy. We all want to be seen as industrious. We all want to be seen as useful. Now here you have a Kohen who's sitting in the Beit HaMoket. He's right there. He's not doing anything. And somebody say, hey, what are you, uh, a lazy bum or something? What are you doing? Why aren't you participating? Why aren't you helping? So he says, says the Tavaris Yisrael, the moment the door opens, send them out. Because in any rate, at any face, he's not allowed to serve. Yetzeh, he should go. He shouldn't be thought of as somebody who is lazy or reticent to perform the service in the base of Megdash. That's actually much worse than just lazy. You're, you're lazy and standoffish when it comes to serving Hashem? Who wants to be thought of that way? Let me give you an example. Suppose you have a, a medical professional and they're in the emergency room and a patient comes in and they need to be tended to. But this medical professional has just been docked from the medical profession for whatever reason. I know a doctor once who, who was taking the, some of the drugs that were there for pain. Unfortunately, he became an addict. He stole from the government. A terrible story. Tragic. So he wasn't allowed to practice medicine. So for him to practice medicine actually became a violation of federal law. A doctor like that should not be in the emergency room. He says, well, I'm just here to see my colleagues. I'm just, you know, I'm just observing. So he's observing. Somebody will walk in, a patient who needs uh, service, who needs, who needs triage, who needs treatment. And you say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just here. And say, aren't you a doctor? Yeah, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just here. It doesn't look good. It doesn't seem right. And they'll say, look at this, look at this, this emergency room doctor who doesn't care what is the triage situation. So what would you do? The answer is you stay away. Precisely. You stay away. So the Kohen, who is in a state of ritual impurity, yetze the And that, my dear friends, is the conclusion 
of the seventh halacha of the eighth chapter of Hilchas Beis Abachida, and with this we conclude the details of the Kohanim. We started these details in the beginning of halacha hey. We had three halachot hey, vav, and zayin, four episodes, and with this we conclude. When we come back, this will be next year because this is the final online offering for Tavshim Pebez. Hopefully Mashiach will be here long, long before, but we can still learn about this. We'll be learning about the Levites, who by then, Emeritz Hashem, will have taken up position in the third and eternal base of Mikdash. And may we merit that from our study, that we should participate and help accelerate the process of the restoration of the base of Mikdash that will be built through Mashiach Tzidkenu. May his arrival, his imminent arrival, happen. And may we be Zohar to meet there and to share and celebrate the Shekhinah's presence amongst us, Bimheira Ubi Amenu, speedily. And in our days, Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Have a beautiful day.